Welcome to The Bottle Comic, your favorite Wednesday podcast hosted by a gay black man, a questionably straight white woman, and a recurring guest who is also basically the third host. I'm the gay <laughs> black man, Monte. I am the uh, the resigned, <laughs> questionably straight white woman, Veronica. The resigned... To her fate. Yes, mm-hmm. the resigned lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, and I'm the special guest that only appears when I'm available, which is every weekend um, <laughs> and every day, Melissa. <laughs> so in this podcast, we take a story arc in comics and also maybe in the future sometimes a video game or a TV show. And we talk about it while consuming wine and using my obsession with Marvel Comics, Veronica's literary background and melissa's general awesomeness and borderline alcoholism as you can tell i've had a few already and i am (laughs) drinking a barefoot pink moscato what are you guys drinking Ooh, i'm very close i'm finishing off my bottle of barefoot red moscato oh so close there veronica so close could have been twinsies um, I'm actually drinking a 2017 Cabernet Sauvignon oh. uh, called F.J. Sarah, and I picked it out because the label was pretty. <laughs> I mean, isn't that how the sommeliers of France pick out their wine? I think that's what every wine expert picks out their wine. <laughs> <laughs> this one will look very pretty when it's empty, and I hoard it on my kitchen counter for a year. Exactly. Empty wine bottles is chic decor. <laughs> yes. It's much classier than empty like tequila bottles that you see in a like frat house. Oh yeah, 100%. Or my house. It's totally different. Or just in Monty's <laughs> house. Or on the beach when you're trying to enjoy your vacation in Florida and you just find booze bottles buried in the sand. Fine. This happened to me once. Nice. Tequila. No. It was tequila. Oh, you're done? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just. What, do you want more of a story about how I found an empty bottle of tequila? I don't know. <laughs> I also, because I'm a filthy garbage person, found a sweater on the beach and kept it. Yep, that's gross. Uh, yeah, we can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want everyone to know how filthy I am. <laughs> okay. okay. So <laughs> since I. Uh, uh, chose the story for this week. Um, I will go ahead and introduce it. Okay, so we read. Do we want to talk about quarantine? Oh yeah. Um, how are you guys doing in quarantine? I am. I'm actually. So I started out uh, thinking this is gonna be terrible and I'm gonna hate it, but I have actually come to love it, and I am very much dreading when this is over <laughs> and I have to start seeing people again. Yes. I went through phases, like I started out thinking it would freak me out, and I tried to stay in a routine and do healthy things, and then it broke down because I threw my back out and had to just lie on the floor, and then I had an existential crisis, but now it's coming back around again, because the weather's nice, and I'm just like, yeah, this is great, do what I want. Yeah, this is great. I'm right there with you, Monte, with the only exception of I was excited to not (laughs) have to see my coworkers anymore. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Melissa's been wanting to work from home slash burn her workplace down for a while. Yeah, I I do. <laughs> I was pretty sad when I thought, oh, I can't hang out with my friends anymore. But 
pretty excited to never see anyone I work with ever again. So also there with you with the dread, mm-hmm. the utter depressing dread weighing down on me that one day this will end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um like so I assume that after cuz my job is one where I can work from home pretty much completely. I don't really have to be in the office to do my job. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like I feel like once we are able to work from home and everybody else goes back into the office, I I'm sure I think we'll have the option because we've been like doing well to stay at home and work from home for as long as we want to, or at least sometimes be able to work from home. I feel like with everybody else in the office, I would be, I would feel pressured to go into the office as well. Even though I generally, even when I was there would isolate myself as much as possible. uh, (laughs) everyone. I feel like similar to when it was first starting, you can kind of, throw that guilt to the wayside because it'll still be a matter of protecting yourself and protecting others and not just a matter of let's stay home, even if it's not the height of the danger, but still better to have fewer people. Yeah. And I'm lucky in that I have a job where, I mean, like I said, we've been basically just as productive as we were when we were in the office. So it's not like, I don't want to give them too much credit. (laughs) <laughs> but my job has said that we can, we'll be able to continue to work from home up until the end of July, um, at least, and then they'll like reassess or whatever. So I yeah. am not one of those people who um, is going to have employers trying to force them back in, while at the same time pursuing liability protections in Congress, <laughs> because they know that people are going to get sick and die. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that because that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast <laughs> this is about... This was our other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast this week is about Black Panther, World of Wakanda, issues number one through five, which is what we mm-hmm. read for this week. So this, the reason I picked this was because it was written by Roxanne Gay, who is a queer woman of color, queer black woman. And she's actually, this story was uh, released in 2016. She is the first black woman to be a lead writer for Marvel, which I think I mentioned last time, but good job, Marvel. Uh, it only took you 60 years, <laughs> 70 years. Oh my God. 70 years. Oh my God. Yeah. It only yeah. took you 70 years. So good job. Uh, Monte, black people didn't exist until 2006. That's true. It only took you 10 years. Uh, <laughs> so it was written by Roxanne Gay um, and penciled and inked by Aletha Martinez. The coloring was done by Rachelle, Rachelle Rosenberg and the lettering by Joe Sabino. So overwhelmingly, it was a story that was created and uh, produced by women, which I think is really cool. Yeah, um, that's awesome. And yeah. also the main characters are women and most of the side characters also are women. Yeah, uh, minimal men. Yeah. Um, and then it was edited by Will Moss, Chris Robinson, and Tom Brevoort, <laughs> which is a fun last name. Uh, <laughs> so this story was con- conceived as like a prequel to the Black Panther Volume 6 stories, which were written yeah. by Tanahisi Coates. Um, yeah, I think an important credit would also be that he was a consultant on... Tanahisi Coates is a man, right? Yeah. That's what 
Okay, I just had a moment of doubt. But yeah, he was a consultant, it said, on this series as well. So it was definitely very attached to his series. Yeah, collaborative. Um, yeah. It's probably important to know if you're going to read it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the story, this story is interspersed with other stories that were going on around the same time. Um, and then, of course, since it's a prequel, part of the point of it is to set up, uh, you know, and give some of the backstory to the story that was in Black Panther Volume 6. So this story runs uh, sort of coherently with the X-Men versus Avengers story, which is a decent event. It's not great, but <laughs> it's also, you should read it, but it's it's not that great. Don't have too high hopes for it. It starts out really great, and then it just kind of falls apart. So then you think it's going to be great, but it's not. But that's not the point. Um, Please keep selling it, Monte. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it also runs concurrent with Thanos's invasion of Wakanda. Uh, so these are things that are kind of happening in the background, but it's not the main story. The main story is about uh, Captain Anika and also Ao, who are members of the Dora Malaje. Which it has a nice pronunciation for us, as I know in previous episodes we were not sure how to pronounce it, even though we heard it in the Black Panther movie. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so it gives... I I really enjoyed like the backstory that we got on them, because they're always kind of present but we don't really know very much about them and like their loyalties, their, um, you know, the process that they go through to be inducted. In Black Panther. Yeah. Be inducted yeah. into like this group and stuff. So it was really cool to get the background on that. Um, and I thought it was really great to have that background be provided by a woman, because mm-hmm. I think that she deals really sensitively and really well with the whole like wives and training thing, which is kind of weird. Right. Yeah. Right. We can yeah, all agree that it's weird, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, what are you talking about? I thought women were <laughs> yeah. property. It's fine. It definitely sounds like an ancient tradition that would exist because I'm always going to go nowadays to uh, Korean history because of all the Korean television I watch. But they had women who worked in the palace. Um, and if you worked in a palace that housed a queen or princesses, you had to be a woman or a eunuch but it was also known that the women who worked in those palaces were the property of the king essentially and he could bang any of them he wanted nice yeah <laughs> and Great. it wasn't a crime it wasn't illicit that's how it was so it definitely sounds like yeah if i had a harem of women who were courting me that would be a thing that would exist yeah. but in it's the clearly... history of our great society and race yeah but obviously the dora malaje of transformed into a useful yeah. group of women who are badass and trained to kill and basically protect the king um yeah it seems like their main focus even if that aspect still exists is that they are the bodyguards of the royal family yes and the other aspect is not really important so overall what did you guys well but it is it is important Right, it is important to them, and exists. To, but it seems to be important to, like, depending on their individual, like... Right. I don't want to say can, level of commitment, but... I'll say it can be an aspect of how they have dedicated themselves to the job. Yeah, like, obviously it's still part of their vow. 
Right. It's definitely a philosophy of being a Dora Milaje. Yeah. So overall, what did you guys think of the story? Melissa, you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, so I read it, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she totally read it. Definitely read it. Um, all right. So I thought this story, in comparing compared to a lot of other stories that we've read, was very fast-paced very it quickly moved through a lot of stuff and not too fast but it did it it just there wasn't a lot of kind of fluff here and there of just bullshit it just went from here's this 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 and it was, it was just it kept you going um and it kept Break going speed yeah it, it was it was really good and and i actually really liked that um there's this clearly this ton of political turmoil and all this because we were talking about how it's like a not a prequel but a prologue prologue and we were discussing yeah where you're arguing if you want to really know what's happening with the political turmoil you can read the story in full but this is what's happening essentially to a quote-unquote background character that it's more about the emotional turmoil being felt by these people and all that other stuff is side character. We kind of mentioned how there aren't that many men, even T'Challa is basically like a side character that you see. Yeah. He's in like a couple panels at a time. Yeah. And he really doesn't, it's, it's really about these women and mostly the, the two main women and, I don't know. I really liked it. I thought it it got a lot into their relationship and their relationship with their country. And it, I don't know. I really liked it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd agree. For a lot of the reasons Melissa said, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a bit marred by moving so fast that a lot of things that in a full dedicated comic would get more atmospheric description were kind of left by the wayside. And it's not necessarily a fault of a writer's storyboard is just if they had more time. For instance, like none of them is necessarily a deal breaker on its own, but just little things like we only see what I can assume is one unit of trainees of Dora Milaje. Everyone outside of that, we see Captain Anika, Zola, who is higher in rank than her. And maybe there was one other Dora Milaje that she talked to on the comms one time, but she might even have been from the same group. And we see them come in as uh, initiates, and those are the only ones we see. So I was wondering the whole time, like, what is the setup of this group? Which I feel like is what you might be interested in if you were going to read a prologue just about them. But once again, it's not a huge issue. I'm going into it a lot. But little things like that, that kind of the scope of the story prevents them from really getting into and kind of weirded me out. And there were a few similar to um, Worlds Apart, a few weird transitions because they were going so fast where I wasn't okay. sure how much time had passed in between two pages or something. But other than that, yeah, I really loved the focus on the characters, and I especially loved, probably because women were involved at every level, the various designs of the initiates. Like, there was so many body types, so many personalities, and it sounds shallow, but hairstyles, because as... Everyone knows hair is not a side issue. It is an expression of yourself and your individuality. (laughs) So I really liked that something we don't often see a lot of attention was paid to women's bodies and their identities and black women's bodies, even for characters that didn't have names whatsoever. Monte, what did you think? So I, um, 
liked it. I liked getting the background on the Dora Milaje. I liked, like, I feel like this story was very similar to Worlds Apart in that it dealt a lot with, uh, like, conflicting loyalties, you know, who are you obligated to, who are you not obligated to, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And I thought it was cool to see, um, like, a group of people dealing with that that question because mm-hmm. not just one person isolated. Yeah, it is. It is about how I say her name, An- Anika and Ao. But you also see, you know, the entire group of the Dora Milaje kind of wrestling with that question of like, are we loyal just to T'Challa? Are we loyal just to the royal family? Or are we loyal to the entire nation? Um, mm-hmm. And I also liked seeing because you get hints of it a lot, like. I admitted I haven't read a ton of Black Panther stuff, but a lot of times, especially in the MCU, you get the idea of Wakanda as this like utopian kind of place. So I thought it was good to see because no no place is like that, you know. Right, because people are still people no matter yeah what kind of society you have them in. And so I like when we see these kind of we see people wrestling with the the bad parts of traditional life in Wakanda with in worlds Mm -hmm. apart you saw the xenophobia uh, which I think has always been there in every story but it was really really highlighted in that story and in this story you see you know not just the abuse of women in terms of like the people who were out there like kidnapping women and doing these violent things but also like the relationship between the two main characters kind of forces you to think like is this institution of the Dora Milaje, like, is this an abusive kind of, you know, system? Is this an abusive institution? And to see them kind of reclaim that and take it back. Right. And to say, no, this is our group and we're going to do what we think is right. um, Mm -hmm. We're going to set the structure of our own. uh, The only word I can think of is department, but that's (laughs) department of our own uh organization yeah there we go (laughs) so what did you guys think of um i guess that that we can transition into the first thing or one of the things that i wanted to talk about was the institution of the dora milaje and like what do you guys think about like this group that it's a millet it's not an elected group and like on the one hand you want them to be you want them to have control over their own destiny and their own future right but at the mm-hmm. same time, having a military group, sort of a secret police-esque group that mm-hmm. all of a sudden is no longer accountable to anyone and is making its own decisions, you can you can understand how that can become <laughs> a bad thing. <laughs> yes. I think this was the fundamental like basis of Ao's character and what I kept getting mad at her about. Cause like I definitely support free agency and thinking for yourself but also there's an argument for when you have willingly joined an elite military-esque institution you can't start disobeying orders in your first like months of being there due to the fact that not everything is explained to you a hundred percent And something on the surface seems like you have doubts about it, but you don't ask any questions about why it's that way. You just start... I mean, Ao comes across as very young and idealistic, 
like a teenager in the way she complains about how things are done and is yeah she just seemed really naive to me in that way like you joined a very hierarchical organization yet you yeah want to fight against your captain and your royal family's decisions from the get-go yeah and i think that really speaks to what you said of like she the organization kind of turns to follow her somewhat justified in that they're a trusted group but they're not being trusted with answers about why things are happening but i mean that is how the military is it's very hierarchical and there are reasons for that yeah like you're part of kind of like you said like you made a commitment to this group like you right you signed up for this you knew what it was like <laughs> right right and like you should still question but while you're serving you pretty much have to do what you're ordered to do and then you can ask for explanations or look into why things are the way they are but or you can quit if you don't like what people are doing but while you're serving it's pretty much other people's safety is on you to follow orders while you're serving you know yeah, like the safety of the people in your group, yes, but also like the overall continuity of the country. Like the Right. You might not know why you're doing something, but that doesn't mean it's not important to achieve something larger. Yeah. Right. Which I, I also admit that's frustrating. I would never join the military because various reasons, but that's one of them. Yeah, that's the biggest reason why I never would. <laughs> yes. Melissa, what were you going to say? Oh, yeah, they strike, like, a really great balance between um, how you have Anika, Captain Anika, who Mm -hmm. is very, very invested in following the status quo and being loyal to T'Challa and all this stuff, Um, but it's when they see him make multiple mistakes or at least multiple... Seeming mistakes without explanation for why he's doing them. Yeah, and and you can kind of see how they are obviously, I mean, it makes sense for them to be more focused on their own country, but it does have a a validity to it where there are issues in their country that are, like, it's seemingly, like, the only reason why they're really allowed to happen is because their criticism of T'Challa being absent from their country. So when they say... Well, there's these villages who have women being raped and tortured or sex trafficked or uh, extorted or whatever. Um, That's when it's like, well, honestly, I feel like there should have been a way to, like, balance those issues. If Right. Surely one person shouldn't have to deal with all the things, but no. It seems like a flaw in Wakanda's structure of justice and whatnot that... You have to have the king specifically paying attention and going out to solve problems rather than having rulers be uh, answerable to a system that functions without him. That was the biggest thing that annoyed me about this story. I was the whole time, well, not the whole time, but during the whole, I would say last two issues, I was just like, where is the bureaucracy where, Where is are bureaucracy? they? You can't this is have, what the bureaucracy does. Yes, you can't have a developed, like, okay, I went to school for political science, so <laughs> I'm about to get into that. So if you don't want to hear about that, you can skip the next 10, 15 seconds. That's what this Even podcast exists for. <laughs> the next 10 minutes. <laughs> yes. For oh. us to take ourselves and our college majors way too seriously and apply them to comic books. Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> Wakanda is 
the most developed nation in the entire world, right? This has been said multiple times. You cannot have a developed modern nation without a bureaucracy. It is necessary. Even in a monarchy, you cannot have a pros like this is a prosperous, developed, powerful country with a powerful military, right? You cannot right. have a that kind of country without a bureaucracy. You can't have a military without a bureaucracy. You can't have right. a legal system without a bureaucracy. Where is the fucking bureaucracy in Wakanda? What are they doing? Yes. And to like a certain extent, the central conceit of superhero comics is that vigilantism is valid. And in this case, well, it's yeah, not vigilantism. <laughs> yeah. In this case, it's not vigilantism because it is the structure that we rely on. It's not that the, stru the structures of bureaucracy and criminal justice aren't sufficient. And so we need a superhero. It's built into the system which as you said it seemed more valid as the comics went as the issues went on and i totally agree with that like at the beginning their first uh complaints were just like oh t'challa is letting mutants into our country that's automatically bad well and it sounded t'challa is letting namor into the country who's just right. killed hundreds of our people i think the way they said it specifically in the very beginning was um you're letting mutants into our country, and so you're letting their enemies into our country, essentially, as well. So at first it just sounded like rabble-rousing, like not understanding what's happening, or expecting xenophobia at the expense of other things. But then it went on to, he's specifically courting Namor, which once again I was kind of annoyed at. AO4, Anika at least asked T'Challa, explain to us why you're doing this. And he didn't. And that was when the Dora Milaje actually, as a group, decided. It's kind of confusing because they don't they actually. They had a soft coup. Yeah, they had a soft coup. They were they essentially just made a statement of we're not going to blindly do what you want, but they still were carrying out their duties 100%. Well, they they basically said like that they're not going to take his orders anymore. They're going to take right. orders from Queen Shuri, so they're still going to protect him. But that's because she wants them to do it, not because exactly. he's the king. And then later, I don't remember the exact timeline. Okay, yeah, it was when the other things started to come. Queen Sharia died, and it was coming to light that all these wrongs were going on that weren't being addressed because T'Challa wasn't doing his job because he was distracted with other issues of worldwide importance. So then they had another sort of coup where they decided we're not just waiting on orders from the royal family at all. We're going to go out and become a police force, essentially, and make yeah, up for Beholden to no one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which that's, if they were beholden to someone, I would be 100% behind instituting a new bureaucratic organization that deals with these things in the absence of T'Challa. But yeah, they're just doing it on their own. And we have to entrust that they're going to make the right decisions. Although there was the court. So the part where right. Anika they did kill someone who's clearly bad. Did right. she have to kill him? That's the I'm question. No. I'm going to say, I wrote in my notes, yeah. uh, that escalated fast. It did. Because he yeah. did seem to be reaching for a weapon. But also, all she said before that was, let this happen. And he was like, no. And didn't threaten her or anything. She didn't try to restrain him. She just threw a harpoon through his chest. Yeah, also, like, <laughs> even if he did have a weapon, even if it was a 
gun, even if it was a laser gun, the most powerful in the world, she could have subdued him. (laughs) I don't even know if he did have a weapon. It's just a frame where you kind of see his hand on the side, and I'm like, he's doing something. But yeah, yeah, I assume he had a weapon, but it should it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. Yeah. And there was that court system that was like, hey, you were way too harsh. You were way too, I guess, police brutality, I guess, in this. Yeah, you murdered someone, which she did. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty valid (laughs) question there. I feel like it's a bit extreme to execute her as well, because it is in the line of duty. But she should definitely have not done that. Well, also, it was like an unsanctioned thing. Because yeah, it's like, exactly. it's again, this is why, and this is why I really, really liked this story was because I feel like everyone was half right, which is yeah, how exactly. the world actually works. Like no one is completely right or completely wrong. Like what they're doing, yeah. it could get out of hand very, very quickly. And it does in right. the Black Panther volume six story. It does get out of hand. Right. Um, but <laughs> like, it could get out of hand really quickly, but you also understand like, these women were being tortured and sexually abused in this guy's basement and nobody was doing anything about it. Something needed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I think some allotment should be made for she went out and she is an official person, even though this isn't part of her duties necessarily, but she was doing something that needed to be done, but still be punished for doing it without orders or approval to do it from the overall government and Murdering someone who did not need to be murdered. Yeah. Right. And she should have never gone there alone. Yeah. If there had been more bureaucracy, weird. she wouldn't have been there alone to make her own decisions. Yeah. And yeah. she especially wouldn't have needed to kill him, probably, because she would have had help in subduing him. Because it was literally just him in his house that right. she had to fight to free women. Yeah. And yeah. So, um, anything else about the... Uh, Dora Milaje as an institution before we move on to talking about specific characters? Um, I feel like I also noticed that within internally within the organization, they didn't seem to have a lot of checks and balances. No. Because yeah. Zola, I don't know if Zola is the overall head of the Dora Milaje, if she's in charge of initiates, if she's just Anika's superior. Once again, I would have liked to know a little bit more about the whole organization. Um so I, but she's going. I assumed that it was a very small because when we first are introduced to them, we think it's just the two of them who are T'Challa's bodyguards, and right. eventually, as time goes on, it gets bigger and bigger. So I assumed that this was it, like this is the group. Right. I didn't necessarily think it was huge, like an army size, but when there's just those two training the initiates, I was like, well, who's out there? guarding everyone right now yeah why are there only two and now we're initiating like 12 i this is one of the things that i should have put in the uh references thing and looked up (laughs) but there have been like a few different like iterations i guess so at some time it's just literally the two bodyguards at some times it's dozens of people so i assumed Mm -hmm. that this was a point where this was it and this was all it was. Because it didn't seem like okay. Zola was answering to anyone. It seemed like she was the top. Right. Like she was the exactly. Head. It did seem like she was the top. So yeah, the um, lack of checks and balances there that I noticed was Zola decides to take Fulami, another initiate, 
to hand as her personal trainee because she sees like certain propensities and certain capabilities in her. And she's like, she needs individual attention. And then she notices when Falami changes physically, um, which we know is because she's decided to go and have nanites injected into her to make her, um, which she had an argument early on that everyone does something to stand out, which sounded like most people train off hours. Um, she decided to go spy on people <laughs> and then get nanites injected into her. Wakanda steroids! Uh, yeah, it's like, she wants... Which I think Ao and Folami are kind of foils, because they both question the status quo, and they're very uh, impudent and whatnot. But Folami is very willing to take sort of the cheating or skipping steps route, and is very focused on face or status. Io is also focused on face of it, but it's more a pride issue. And she's very focused on love, which I think is their fundamental. Like, she's a very loving and passionate person and not just an ambitious person. But yeah, Zola notices that Falami has done this and then just waits a few days because she doesn't know what to do. Yeah, she just doesn't Falami... do anything. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I know Falami has done something terrible, but I'm just going to think about it until I figure out what to do when she is literally entrusted with guarding the royal family and they know she's done something bad but just keep doing it for a few days while i think about it yeah and another time where you see that lack of i would say really it's just a lack of accountability is yeah. when zola is like zola's talking to ao and she's like um anika's in jail for murdering that man and Zola's basically father. Yeah. And Zola's basically like, yeah, it was illegal and she shouldn't have done it and she should be punished. But also like, I'm going to give you this key so you can just like yeah. let her out. Like what? Why don't you just break her out. <laughs> right. What was like, that about? Not even like I'm going to use my political influence to keep fighting for her. No. Just go break her out of jail. Just go like get her out of jail. She should be punished, yeah. but also nah. So, and and to be clear, I don't think that that's something bad within the story. Like, I don't think that these things right, were no. unintentional. I think that they were, because again, this is a prequel to the Dora Milaje basically rebelling against T'Challa right. and a bunch of bad stuff happening because of that. So, like, I do think that all these things were intentional. I'm not saying, like, it was a bad story because of those things. Right. I would say... We're going to go a lot, and we have been going a lot through the run of this podcast between commentary on the game world or the comic world and the plots and whatnot. And people in stories have flaws, which you can comment on. That's what makes an interesting story. Yeah. And then we also sometimes talk criticisms about how the story is structured. But yeah, most of the time, it's going to be commentary on the content of the story, not criticism of the story writing. Yeah, but this was the thing that, to go back to my original point, that was the thing that I loved the most about this story was you saw criticisms of this institution while at the same time reverence for the institution because it's really important, but also sometimes it does things that are shitty or that are wrong. And the same thing was true like for individual characters. Nobody was all the way right or all the way wrong. Right. Yeah. You often it, felt frustration with everyone. Yeah. There's kind of like that parallelism where the Dormalaje don't agree with why should we have to follow one man, T'Challa, and mm -hmm. then they are like, okay, well, we'll all just make our individual decisions, um, just like T'Challa <laughs> was. Um, yeah. was. And you're like, clearly that didn't work out 
either right. time. Um, <laughs> but if you guys are ready, I kind of want to move on to the relationship of Anika and Ao, yes. which was amazing. And I have so much to say about it because I thought it was so well written. Okay, you can um, start. Yeah, All right, I'll start. start <laughs> <laughs> so you just, it, I just thought it was just so realistic. You've got two people. Uh, one of them, uh, Captain Anika, you just see this consistency with her denying herself and being overwhelmed with fear and doubt. And then Ao, who's like almost on the other spectrum where she's fearless and tactless in a lot of ways and yeah. hasn't been initiated into like maybe just have a little bit of respect and shut up sometimes. <laughs> like <laughs> Maybe to just shut you up. Don't you don't always know? have to have something to say. <laughs> you know um but they you always see them come together and they use their their strengths and their weaknesses to help sort of support each other and at the same way you kind of see anika deny ao over and over and over again and ao says you know i'm not gonna always be here oh, but she's still there and because she's right. still i thought they communicated and sometimes Sometimes. Eventually they would communicate. They they did communicate their fears and even if they didn't agree, I felt like it was more than nothing. Obviously their then their relationship wouldn't have been. Also, right. I don't know if we've said the word lesbian yet. Um yet. Lesbian. But they are lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> um and you know, and it, I it said really... lesbian, but it was in okay. reference to Veronica, who's a fake lesbian. Okay, well, when I'm talking about head. real lesbians... No, don't you think I'm a fake straight? <laughs> and secretly a real lesbian? Yes. There yes. you go. This is all in Monte's head, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> this is his mind canon. Yeah, but how they can kind of support each other through their flaws, and so why Ao is more clear and open and honest, um, and Aniga is consumed by her fear, really, in... You know, just between these two people, not really in relationship. I mean, obviously, uh, the relationship with their country obviously makes a play in with Anika's doubt and fear. But it just, mm -hmm. it it just felt very real. Like the problems in a relationship all yeah. seemed very realistic. Right. In the and story. the characters in the aspect of their relationship felt very consistent with their actions outside of it. Like I said earlier, I spent a lot of time being frustrated with Io. Not because she's poorly written whatsoever, just because she's very consistently characterized as a very idealistic, young, and naive person. And in the way that she really pushes forward in this relationship, Anika is a little too hesitant, but Ayo's a little too forceful and wants everything at once, essentially. And keeps saying she wants more, she wants more, and it's like, Anika is holding her back somewhat, but... It's similar to how teenagers get in relationships. Like, they want to be together 100% of the time. They want to have no barriers between each other because they haven't learned about healthy relationship boundaries. Um, like, they want to know everyone's passwords <laughs> and go through each other's phones constantly. It's like, Ayo, what do you want? Or Ayo, what do you want at the end of the day that you don't have right now? And obviously there is some things that she's not getting because Anika is holding back way too much. But it's like, do you want to, like, take over a mountain to scream about how much you love it, each other and have the whole society acknowledge it? Like, <laughs> I 
Like you are working right now. Also, yeah, you're working. This is your just job. Just to speak about professionalism, you should never be in a romantic relationship with someone in your reporting hierarchy. Yeah. It is a recipe for dysfunction. I definitely felt Anika and her hesitance in that kind of right. capacity because I'm like, well, she's not just denying her love for you. She's also trying to be professional. Right, yeah, she's exactly. your superior like, officer. Right. And Ao at one point was thinking, I before they got together or even acknowledged that they loved each other, she was like, because they would do this very cute thing where they'd bicker and then they'd have thoughts about like, oh, why did I, why do I always say the opposite of what I mean? Or why do I react to what she does so harshly? Um, but she had a thought. I, I will never tell her that I want to always serve by her side. Ah! Like You should really not, especially since you're <laughs> protecting people and in a bigger team than just the two of you. Yeah, you should definitely not tell her that. I mean, you should definitely not do that. And this was really. also, like, this was another thing where it's like, okay, Mistress Sola, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. She like, knows. This is... This is the time to be a good manager and sit down and have a frank conversation, yes. not a, like, an innuendo conversation. Like, this was one of the things where, so in the um, conversation that we had during the episode for Worlds Apart, we talked about how these, like, you have conflicting obligations and stuff. And right. it was really cool that Storm, in the end, chose that she's not going to, like, she's going to be obligated to both and she's going to make her own decisions. And that was fine for her because she wasn't, this she wasn't this right although she was queen of a country so whatever queen right okay so now i'm rethinking (laughs) now i'm rethinking (laughs) things but just focusing on this story though (laughs) just focusing on this story so i really liked that in the end the solution was to leave and no longer be the dora milaje because somewhat yeah those the the them and the decision was kind of made for her, uh, for Anika. Because she was broken out of jail. Yeah. So the decision was kind of made for her, but, and less so for Ao, but kind of for her too, uh, for them to kind of leave that structure instead of continuing to try to exist as both within that structure. Because, and maybe, maybe, I mean, we can talk about it during the bracket or whatever, but maybe that makes this story better written than Worlds Apart because it actually deals with the reality of you're part of this institution and you have an obligation within this institution. Whereas in Worlds Apart, it wasn't really, it was just like, well, I'm Storm and I'm an individual, so (laughs) I'm going to be both. But it's like, well, you're also queen though. And that is an institution in and of itself. Yeah, right. I could see an argument either way for Storm, but yeah, for sure. You definitely feel, and it's like the very end of the last chapter, um, which confused me a lot because I wasn't sure that it was over. I thought they were going to go on to resolve more things, but obviously that happens in Black Panther. But at the very end, they decide they like escaped and hiding in a cave and they're like, we're going to do what we need to do. But the important thing is we'll be together outside those bonds. And I feel like the plot really had a sense of relief at that point, not just because they can be together, but because they've removed those other strictures by leaving even if it was a hard decision or it's got its own shortcomings like right. they have the freedom to have that relationship now mm-hmm. and like as monte said they're only half right right exactly so. <laughs> <laughs> everyone is always half right which yeah very realistic and back to what we were talking about society i feel like 
societies having flaws is also very realistic. Yes. Societies develop over time. They come out of old traditions that don't work anymore. And honestly, I feel like this is a central theme probably of a lot of comics about women. Like Catwoman was also exploring her identity in the Catwoman issue. We had like, what is my role? Not necessarily what are my loyalties because she's a free agent, but where do I decide to focus? Uh, my talents is the only phrase I can come up with. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel abilities. literarily, I feel like this is a very uh, female theme to have in things because the role of women has changed so much in the last 100, 150 years that it used to be you had an identity laid out for you. You had one of like three or four options and you followed a route. And by breaking out of those strictures, you get freedom, but that freedom also comes with choices that you have to make. And thinking that you have to do about what choices you want to make, which ones are choices that mesh with your identity. Yes. Monte, as a gay man, did you find parallels that two straight women or one and a half straight women would be able to gleam understanding from? What? <laughs> are there any insights into gayness you can tell us it was also a dig at Veronica being half straight so yes. you're welcome I was the half a straight woman that <laughs> Melissa referenced we don't talk about it but I'm straight <laughs> yes um, so we kind of talked about it before we started recording but there wasn't really homophobia in this story the conflict kind of like you said Melissa before uh, we started recording was basically between and you said it during the recording too so whatever but uh <laughs> was basically anika's duty and the like commitments that she had already made rather than some giant taboo about two women being together which is you know nobody seems to view that as a bad thing like there's the i thought it was interesting actually it's we should i don't remember which uh issue it was but there was one I think it was the first time that they kissed or like almost kissed or something. And then there's some people coming around the corner and it like shows that they're coming around by like making, having the noises. I think they were laughing. Yeah. Or little talking noises. Um, yeah. And yeah. then they like run away from each other, which is something that you see a lot in coming out like movies and, or books or whatever is, Oh, mm -hmm. we almost kissed or we started kissing, but then it was interrupted because someone might see and I thought it was really cool that rather than it being someone might see and that would be so terrible because we're two women, it was someone might see and you're my fucking superior officer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's an or no, wait, I'm your superior officer because AO didn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, there was some initial hesitancy due to that, but I think, yeah, most of the hesitancy was due to duty and not orientation yeah and i really like that because it you can tell that roxanne gay wrote this story from the point of view that this relationship is normal you know that mm -hmm. a lesbian relationship right. is normal um right, right. so there's no Stripped reason of all context yeah so there's no reason to even you know spend time on that because this right. is normal, which I really liked. I really appreciate when you have that in media. I think that it's important to talk about homophobia because it still exists. So obviously it should still be in LGBT media, but it is kind of exhausting to constantly see over and over the same 
boring stories of when are you going to come out of the closet? Like, blah, 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 right. blah. Like, it's like, that's only one aspect of life. That's not every story. Yeah. Gay relationships are very complicated and very often terrible, just like straight relationships. And they should mm-hmm. be treated the same way. So I thought it was great. Like Melissa said, I thought the relationship was written really, really great because it got into that. Like there was so much happening between the two of them and you, I at least didn't get the feeling that any of that came from the fact that they were both women. It seemed like it was really just the complications of a new relationship and everything that comes with that regardless of gender. Yeah. And even when there was a lot of plot justification to throw some of that in, for instance, when they were in New York on vacation um, and they got harassed by some dudes who wanted to hang out with them. Oh, yeah. I had completely um, like, forgot about that scene, actually. Right. It was <laughs> like, that's an opportunity to throw, like, slurs or homophobia in without affecting your plot society. But we don't need it. It's not even relevant there. Yeah. Well, yeah. For- it. fortunately for them, they were in New York City, which is, you know... <laughs> I mean, if you're going to get harassy guys, though, I feel like those are the most likely people to, they're already, they already pulled knives on them, didn't they? Or no, that was in the short story with Zenzi. Yeah, that wasn't the first time or the last time that they'd be harassed by skeezy men, but, um, but actually I really enjoyed the New York scene. There's that I really like seeing their personal fashion in a context that I understood of clothes that aren't from a made-up I thought it was so great. My (laughs) husband and I went on a vacation to New York City last year, and it just, it kind of, it felt very New York City. Like, Mm -hmm. I felt like even the artwork changed subtly with their outfits and, you know, just their settings, and it just kind of, like, felt very real where they were, what they were experiencing. And with... Obviously, also being in New York City, gross men saying gross things to you, very yeah. real. Um, <laughs> and and then I love the way she hurt that guy and then walked away. It was really, it's like, really awesome. Bye, guys. Not worried about um, Speaking of the New York scene, Melissa, which contained high-heeled shoes, uh, oh, let's yeah. have our women's clothing segment right now. How did you feel <laughs> about all the clothing in this whole issue? They look super great uh, all the time. The only time I really thought was like, really? Was (laughs) when Mistress Zola had, like, she kind of wears like a bikini with a cape type outfit. It's sort of a ceremonial type bikini outfit. all the time. And she's like often in an office at a computer (laughs) working. That was an interesting juxtaposition. They'd often be wearing like, ceremonial clothing or they have yeah. their really cool tattoos and it's just like a boring office or a right. boring and dorm my, room my i love that point it's so great no, no but my only point is as someone who is often cold in an office i'm like i would be wearing a cardigan over my ceremonial sort of bikini type outfit because i would be so cold it's so true. cold. Although, I mean, there is very little restrictions. In the I bet she just cranks that thermostat up if she yeah. gets cold, so it's fine. That office is in the same building as their training rooms, though, so I was just assuming it was warm. So they have very comfortable, aside from, like, the sleeveless ones, which have the magic of staying on their boobs, but, like, I'll accept it. Their training outfits look so comfortable. Ooh, they're... Just, like, halter shirts, no bra, 
and slouchy pants. Looked when great. they were mourning Queen Shuri, they had these amazing, like, dope morning cloaks that they wore <laughs> and i was like "Ooh, you don't have to wear those all the time but those look awesome <laughs> <laughs> yes and i thought it was really good visually how anika especially would transition from her training outfit she's like militaristic and her duty outfit of her costume and then her dress for lounging was just like a really cute soft and feminine yellow dress it kind of almost looked like a towel which I was yeah. jealous of. Very Chrissy it's Teigen like, for me. Yes. I enjoyed it yeah. because even if you're a badass who wears a badass costume, that doesn't mean you're less of a woman or that you need to not have feminine traits or like soft, flowy towel dresses. Yes. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> End of clothing segment. <laughs> Everyone had comfy shoes. It was great. Except for when they Aside were Aside from the heels in New York. Which is what made me remember to talk But sometimes about you want to feel uncomfortable to feel... I mean, high heels are beautiful, <laughs> and I want to own all of them, but I want to wear them for, like, five minutes at a time. Aside, I have <laughs> a friend who used to work in New York, right? Um, and mm -hmm. she had to wear heels every day to work, because that was fashion. Like, you can't work in a marketing con company in New York and not be fashionable like you can't just right. be a schlubby hoe like I might be but she we I, I talked to her once she's like yeah so I'd, I'd wear heels I go to the office and she's like I just sat as much as possible yeah you just and she's like you have to stand and talk to people just find somewhere to lean just find <laughs> somewhere to lean on yes and especially in Korean dramas when they're commuting by walking and using the train and wearing like five inch heels it'd just be like don't but yeah but yeah, I mean, sometimes you want to wear stuff you might not normally wear and yeah, look when you're... good in a way you might. This is just different. Yes. Um, so good good to them. Yeah. Monte, what next? So I guess, did anyone have anything to say about Bellamy as a character? Um, I just, what I've said about her relationship with Zola and her being sort of Ao's foil. Um, I thought she was interesting. I... At the beginning, I thought she was going to have shown up with some kind of nefarious purpose. Like, she was there to sabotage the Dora Milaje or something, but it turned out she's just very ambitious. Yeah. He so. did find an apartment with just a note that said number 33, which was very impressive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so kudos to her. Yeah. She also, in another way that she's Ao's foil and thus very like her, seemed very impetuous and young and naive and headstrong in a way that, when tempered with wisdom, might be good for her, but made her just scream at everyone that they were lying when they said something she didn't like. Yeah. And automatically blame Ao and Anika for things just because she resented them for the favoritism they had. Yeah, and and I'm and we can only imagine that the drugs i guess that she was on robot did not, drugs yeah did not help with her rationality <laughs> yeah it's very possible and yeah i i would have liked to see more of her because obviously she was raised by a man that she thought was a good man but he had he was not he was corrupt and did things that she apparently didn't even perceive but surely it changed her outlook on things to be raised that way so if they'd have got more into that, into her character, that would have been interesting. 
Yeah, well, unfortunately, as far as I can tell, she actually doesn't make an appearance after this story arc, mm-hmm. which is another reason I was very confused. Yeah. <laughs> because she's not in the Black Panther Volume 6, so I assumed that that meant she was going to die or, like, her part of the story would be resolved, but it really wasn't, so... Not really? Yeah. They also didn't resolve within this... I didn't actually read a lot about it, but uh, as I said before we started recording, I read some background on Shuri because I had never heard that she was the queen, so I went to read how that happened, and it talked a bit about how the situation with Namor, which I think really emphasizes that this is like a prologue or companion that we don't really get the explanation in this. It's in the main comic. Yeah. Like why Black Panther is talking to Namor and et cetera, et cetera. That's in... The why Namor floods Wakanda is in Avengers versus X Men, and then why Namor is working with T'Challa is in I can't I can't I think it's like Infinity or something is the name of the event, but it's another event. Right. I don't remember what it is. If you want to read them, you can probably look it up on the wiki and it'll be there. Yeah, I read enough background to sort of get the idea, but it would have been nice if there was a. Not a full explanation, but a little bit of explanation about why we, why it happened in the first place or whatnot in this, just so reading this on its own as a prologue to other things also could be a more full experience. Yep. So that's, that's all that I had. What I was going to say about Falami is basically what's already been said. So yeah, we already talked about uh, Mistress Zola. There's not really much to say about uh, Shuri or T'Challa or any of the other like members of the royal family in this story. We already kind of talked about the relationship between the Dora Milaje and the royal family, so I don't think we really need to talk about that anymore. So does anybody else have anything before we finish? Just going to mention once again that all the character designs were fucking awesome. Zola is big woman but she is beautiful and majestic and badass and she great. was so majestic she was so graceful and like fucking regal i was like i so in the black panther movie angela bassett is hardly in it at all but she plays the hell out of that part and you can definitely tell that she is the queen mother in this yes. i was like is zola the queen mother she seemed <laughs> like she was the queen mother <laughs> Except for the fact that she didn't hold any of her subordinates accountable for anything. But whatever. Whatever. (laughs) But she seemed like she would. Yeah. I mean, when your organization has been whittled down to two people, you might lose sight of how a hierarchical institution should work. (laughs) But she was fucking cool. She had awesome ceremony outfits. She had great hairdos. She was awesome. I loved her. Aside from her professional missteps. Yes. getting murdered because she turned out she turned up to Falami's place alone so sad yeah which again you don't do things alone when you're part of an like you don't do that why are you they even like specifically went and did it alone out of their own choice yes but yeah uh Melissa were you gonna say something oh I just had written in my notes um, we hadn't physically really highlighted it, um, but that Falami was just a little snitch. <laughs> she was. <laughs> she wasn't. <laughs> that was really good writing, I felt like, when she revealed, like, the way I'm going to get ahead is I know things about people. 
And that was kind of good writing of the institution because Zola would listen and she would see what people were doing and she wouldn't necessarily rigidly say, don't do that. That's stupid. She'd be like, okay, that's your strength. Let's go talk about it. Let's assign things according to your strength. Let's try to lead you in a better direction. Yeah, I well, thought that Zola... Little... What? She'd write it in a little black book. Yeah, and then <laughs> just, just ignore it. for the... <laughs> Write it in a black book, never use it. I thought that Zola was going to use Falami as a spy, as like an informant to right. maintain discipline within the group, but she didn't. Right. She just... So I don't really even know what Falami's role was within the group. Yeah, I think that was kind of the implication, but since it's a limited series, they didn't really have anywhere to go with it. I feel like that's most of the shortcomings of this, is that they had really good writers who are writing in a way that could be an entire series ongoing, but they had to they had to do it fast. There were some awkward time transitions. Things happened quickly, and they had to compress it. Yeah. I don't think Roxanne Gay has... I, I don't think she's written anything other than this for Marvel. Well, she should have her own book. Yeah, uh, this, uh, yeah. give this woman a book, a full yes. book. Give it to her. This book. Tell her to write this book in a continuous manner. Except that probably everyone's dead or in jail or something. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> All right. So since we're done with this, do we want to... Favorite panels? Yeah, that. Hmm... Someone um, else go, because I gotta think about it. Well, okay. You had so many great sexual tension in all caps panels. Yes. Um, all caps and italicized. <laughs> yeah, and then you had a kissing! Pretty dope kissing panels. Um, but I would say my favorite panels were when they were in New York on their little picnic blanket having just a moment just a brief moment of happiness, <laughs> even if they, by they, I mean, Anika came to regret it because she's being too harsh on herself right. and Ao or whatever. Well, um, her country is being traumatized and her along with it I by it. terrible incidents. So, But just that feeling of maybe I can be happy for one second and <laughs> have a beautiful moment in the park. Beautiful uh, picnic and make out on the grass. And it was great. I really love that. Those panels there. Yeah. I figured it out. I'm going to go back to, yeah, that first panel of the initiates. Not because it's really mind-blowing, but just because, I don't know, it felt really like women were being seen in that moment because not only are there bigger women, there's also really, like, slight women. It's like, they're all going to be badass warriors because they're all going to dedicate themselves and train. They don't all have to look one way. They can all have their beautiful hairstyles which I kept staring at throughout the whole comic. Everyone's really cool hair. Yeah. And just in that moment, I felt like these, most of those characters didn't get names, but I felt like they were very individual and had very interesting character designs, even if they never got named or characterized. Mm -hmm. My favorite, not necessarily panel, but the series of panels was when Zola, they basically decide that they're going to go after Falani's father and Zola kind of brings her aside to be like, okay, I need to remove her from this situation and take her into her room, which 
again she just lets her leave doesn't do anything (laughs) but uh when falani's like if you move against my father i will become rage (laughs) and i just thought that was great and then she became rage yeah and then she She just kept saying i am rage i have become rage i am rage it was great (laughs) she was rage the whole time she's a very angry person she was my goodness so whether it's relevant or not we like to have a uh compliment wolverine segment courtesy of melissa and her love of wolverine so melissa if you would like to start so i love wolverine so much um (laughs) and i don't care what anyone says but i love hugh jackman and i think he's great and the fact that he plays wolverine is fantastic and i just want to give him props that in one of the later wolverine movies he's able to withstand a nuclear blast because only wolverine could do that and not just really poor writing on someone's part but because he's so amazing (laughs) he's able to withstand a nuclear blast because he's great just Mm -hmm. out of sheer greatness yeah my wolverine moment did not in fact happen in any of these issues it was in the additional side story issue also included in uh world of wakanda which involves white panther and it was literally just that adamantium was mentioned and that always reminds me of Wolverine and gives me warm tinglies in my heart to remember that uh, Wolverine exists. Lovely. <laughs> Monte? Uh, my Wolverine appreciation is much like AO, Wolverine doesn't give a shit about institutions. Yes. Uh, he actively dislikes them. He has a little bit more justification than she does for that frame of mind but yeah he didn't apply to an institutionalized position to yeah be initiated into also it. he's been viciously abused by many institutions uh but i my wolverine appreciation is that i think they would be kindred spirits and he would they have would. a lot of respect for her and they would become very good friends he would have a lot of respect yes. for all of them because wolverine fucking loves women yes not in the way that gross people say, oh, I love women, but like, no. <laughs> he actually loves women. Uh, <laughs> Prefers yes. their company. Yes. I was reading about him and how he um, ignores all his actual progeny, his children, namely his son who looks like the worst fuckboy ever, <laughs> and just adopts female wards instead. Yes. Badass recognizes badass. (laughs) I don't need my filthy children, especially my filthy, filthy son and his ugly tattoo. I'm going to raise these young teenage girls. And I'm going to say for sake of this argument that it's not in a creepy way. Wolverine's son is hot. And that's just (laughs) that. Okay? So anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing else matters. Anyway, thank you, Wolverine. We thank you on this day. (laughs) um so veronica you want to introduce the next story yep so um i'm putting off the daredevil one once again for various reasons mostly my laziness but then once i decided to be lazy i realized it's justified because for every choice in this season in quotes before we do our bracket i have chosen a dc comic and monte has chosen a marvel comic so i thought i'd stick with dc And I'd stick with our women theme because I'm a woman. Women are badass. They're better than men. 100%. No arguments. Done. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) uh, So I chose a Wonder Woman comic written by a woman. It is Wonder Woman volume 3, number 14 through 17. 
um, which is called The Circle. And it kind of deals with, similar to this, like going back to her roots and uh, what's her island called? Themyscira. Yeah, Themyscira. And like the, her, yeah, her origins and the structure of that society. And apparently a shit ton happens in it, even though it's only four issues and kind of reinvents the character, but also takes, sort of tries to make all her various incarnations work together. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. I love some world build- world building mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I love Wonder Woman. So Wonder Woman it's is so badass. Great. Yes. So that's volume three issues 14 through 17. Cool. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. I read a little bit of a description of it on a list website um, and picked it out of some other Wonder Woman arcs, but it seems really good from the late aughts. It's a great time. We were young. We were naive. No, we weren't. No, we weren't. We were very cynical. (laughs) We knew what we were doing. (laughs) So yeah, I hope it will be good. Great. All right. Any final words? Bye. All right. No. uh, After that one, we're going to have our bracket where we're going to (laughs) argue a winning comic out of the ones that we've read uh, based on no criteria whatsoever. So we'll see how that shakes out. Um, And then we'll start over with a new bracket. And I think since Melissa's starting us off with that bracket with an Archie comic, I'm going to do some weird shit also. What? I mean, not weird, not like Archie's weird, but we've stuck to superheroes. Might branch out a little bit in this second bracket. Yeah, we'll find some indie comics and some web comics. All kinds of shit. So if you're listening to this and you know of a webcomic that you really enjoy, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, refer yeah, us to it. Throw it our way. It can be as pornographic as you want. JK, no, it can't. Veronica's <laughs> lying. She wants <laughs> porn. Yeah, you- I'll read some porn. What the fuck? One of my favorite webcomics is pornographic, but it has its own story. Melissa, you I- know what okay, I Okay, to of. get away from porn, if anyone's got some Archie and <laughs> recommendations, Riverdale comics that aren't related to the TV show that will, you know, connect me to my 12 year old self, feel free to email or Instagram or Twitter. Connect with us. Yes, and you can do that on Twitter and Instagram at Bottle Comic, where we also. Um, We haven't been mentioning this, but whenever we reference panels specifically, especially our favorite comics, our favorite panels, I mean, uh, Melissa goes and posts those up so you can reference them. So if you're curious what the hell we're talking about and you want to see, go check out our Twitter, Instagram at Bottle Comic and they'll be posted up there. You can also email us at thebottlecomic at gmail.com if you just want to send us direct emails, which please do. Um, we'll read them in the podcast if you want us to, or we'll just answer them. And other than that, anyone have anything else to say about nope. our upcoming brackets? They're going to be great. We're going to get twice as drunk. It's going to be fabulous. <laughs> um, other than that, we'll see you next week with Wonder Woman. Bye. 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 <laughs>